I was recently doing some market research for a client, and I started looking over the cities across America. And in North America, I found that the city with the biggest population of people who look like you and I from black culture is Detroit. Recent studies show that Detroit is 79.4% black. To me, that's 80% black. And so I wanted to talk to someone who actually has the pulse of the culture. I wanted to talk to someone who's speaking with people from Detroit on a daily basis. I'm DJ Motri of the Black Equity Network, and welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Listeners, we are here for another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. I'm always excited uh, to chop it up with a fellow podcaster, a fellow writer uh, within the culture. We have Marquise on the line, Marquise Taylor of Detroit Worldwide Podcast. Marquise, I'm here. There? Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, DJ. I appreciate you. You're very welcome. For those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and your your podcast and some of the work that you do. For sure. Well, my name is Marquise Taylor. I am the host of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. That podcast launched back in May of 2019, so it's not even a year old yet. Uh, born and raised in okay. Detroit, Michigan, but currently live in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, Minnesota, so it's very cold here. Okay. Uh, so I moved from one cold state to another cold state, um, doing some great things here at the University of Minnesota um, on their campus. But the thing that I'm most proud of is just being able to uh, create. So in addition to the podcast, and um, I'm also doing some things as a writer. I've been writing for years. Actually got back into writing this year. Had written for uh, several uh, publications back in my hometown of Detroit. Uh, the Michigan Chronicle and Michigan Front Page did that for uh, throughout my 20s. I, I can't really date it, but then I just picked up writing again and have started to uh, contribute articles to the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder. So that's been fun. Congratulations. And yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. And the podcast, like I said, has been um, out since May of 2019. We've had a variety of people on there, um, people from across 
many industries, including STEM, business, arts. Uh, we've interviewed musicians, playwrights, people from across the spectrum. And the thing that I love about that podcast is that it gives me the opportunity to talk about my hometown, but also showcase the beauty of my hometown as well. And for people, most importantly, to tell the story. It's better for us to tell the story and for other people to control the narrative. So I'm excited about that. I'm just really excited to tell stories. I think your podcast is very important for our culture. Uh, Before we get into the podcast, what are some of the uh, subjects that you touch on with your writing and some of the publications that you uh, submitted your writing? Yeah, for sure. So I mentioned to the Michigan Chronicle and the Michigan front page that is the oldest Mm -hmm. um, African-American black publication in the state of Michigan. If If not the United States, I don't know what the oldest one is, but it's one of the oldest ones. So, during my, um, I guess, heyday, this was back in like the mid to uh, late 2000s, I wrote a lot about music and things I was interested in, sports, uh, movies, music, artists, you name it. Those are things that I covered. Um, and then currently with the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder, much of those same things, but now I've really shifted my focus into highlighting Black-owned businesses in the uh Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and I've also had the opportunity to uh, converse with a few local artists, as well as national artists that I'll be sharing in the weeks to come, but it's been really been fun. Like, I haven't written um, regularly in 10 years. I think 2005 to 2009 is when I uh, wrote for the uh, Chronicle and Front Page, and life happened, you know, going to grad school and all the other stuff. But it's been good to kind of pick it back up because that was a big part of my life in my 20s. And I'm now in my uh, (laughs) mid-30s. I don't feel it, but um, it's still been good Mm -hmm. to get back and reconnect to that side of myself. So, yeah, I'm I'm all about uh, supporting black businesses, black people in general. I love being black. So. No, we definitely have that, that shared passion. What uh, what does the the scene look like in Minneapolis as far as uh, black culture and black business? Uh, what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, I can't say that it's thriving. I'm coming from Detroit, where my perspective okay. is pretty much <laughs> everybody that I know, I know and just the culture itself. Black excellence is a part of Detroit culture, and that's the great thing about the podcast. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question. It's growing. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, Definitely a predominantly white city, predominantly white state. So it's very, um, I'm very adamant of being able to provide, have that platform to showcase those black businesses. Now, I will say that in the Mm -hmm. six years that I've been in Minnesota, and in the two years I've been in the Twin Cities, there has been a lot of positive change in terms of the number of black businesses, the number of black entrepreneurs, there's still some work that needs to be done as far as addressing black spaces. But with mm-hmm. the few spaces that we do have, the paper, people like myself, we try our best to affirm those uh, spaces and places. So it's growing to kind of uh, summarize uh, my response, but at the same time, there's more work that needs to be done. Yeah. And maybe that's why you're a planet there. Maybe because you have that background in the original Chocolate City, uh, one of the blackest cities in the world, uh, Detroit. <laughs> maybe because you have that background, you can bring that to uh, your current city that you're in now. For sure. I mean, 
people on my podcast and I can't um highlight them enough they really emphasize that black excellence and what it means to have been around you know black politicians and black physicians and anybody that was an important role nine times out of ten that were black so the way that I perceive the world that's the way that I kind of uh, function in the Twin Cities is that I know who I am, but I also know there are other people who look like me that may not know who they are and what they bring to the table. So my job um, as a writer is to affirm those spaces so that way we can kind of do like the cooperative economics thing. That's what I'm all about, being able to support mm-hmm. people and yeah. just that, that commerce, let the black dollar um, cycle into the community. So let's get into that. Let's talk about uh, some of the people that you uh, spoke to on your on your podcast. Uh, what has it been like being able to have this platform uh, in Detroit, one of one of our, our cornerstone uh, cities within the culture? What has it been like to now be an ambassador uh, in the podcast space for your your city that you grew up in? Well, answer that has been beautiful. I mean, so much. Greatness has come out of Detroit. It's been very affirming. The people that I've been able to chop it up with has really given me a greater perspective in a sense of um, who I am as a black man, who I am as a black Detroiter. And, you know, I'll just kind of share, like, I'm a 35-year-old man. And the people that I've had on have uh, come from a, a wide range of ages spectrum wise I mean, we have people who have been younger than me people who have been older than me but the mm-hmm. common theme is that we all recognize the black excellence but in saying that yeah. the people that we have had on there who are a little bit older than me um for our younger listeners they've been able to like learn like whoa i didn't know detroit was like that back in the day and then for somebody that's uh, the younger mm-hmm. people who are coming on who may either still be in the city or who may have left the city, their perspective is very humbling because they are the ones that are like, it's in many cases on the front line and can kind of speak to the things that have gone on in the city. Like full disclosure, um, I moved away from the city. I think it's been about 10 years now. Um, I was still in the state of Michigan, but I wasn't act, uh, living in the city. And then I moved away from the state of Michigan uh, six years ago. So I go back often, but at the same time, there my perspective is a little different in that I come in seeing my family. I still keep in contact with a lot of people, but at the same time, uh, my perspective is different, having not lived there for the last decade or so. So going back to your question, it's been very beautiful. It's been very humbling. And it's just been really... Um, I guess to kind of summarize, I probably use the word frequently as I'm talking as affirming because, again, Detroit Mm -hmm. is the the uh, hub of the culture. It is the standard for um, excellence, not only um, black excellence, which is excellence itself in the community, because, you know, people listen to our music with Motown. People drove our cars or are driving our cars. So we are the fabric of America in, in many cases. So who has been someone that stood out that was older than you uh, that has uh, showed up on the podcast uh, that you like to share? Maybe an episode that people should definitely check out and some of the pieces of wisdom that you learned from that person. 
hmm, episode that stands out. I mean, I'm biased in saying that all of them stand out, but um, <laughs> if I had to kind of summarize, well, somebody that's older, uh, then I'll give you somebody that, that was younger than you. Somebody that's older. Hmm. Um. I don't think that they're that much older than me. I don't want to like put their age out there because I really don't know their age. But um, the person right. that we had on there, um. Uh, Dominique Mariso, who is a renowned playwright, her perspective was fascinating in the sense that she attended the University of Michigan, and this was during the time of affirmative action when they were like really trying to ban it. So I remember reading about mm-hmm. this when I was either in high school or in middle school, but to hear her go through it and to hear um, how she was able to persevere while at the same time being able to carve a niche for herself. And she has a play on Broadway right now. Like, that's dope in and of itself. She has a play yeah, based on the uh, Temptations. Um, I think it's called Ain't Too Proud. It's in New York City. So for your listeners that are in New York City or just people in general, check out her play. That's dope as hell. The fact that she has something like that. This is somebody that's from the D, straight out of the D. I love Detroit, has written plays about Detroit. She has a play on Broadway. And that same play was just nominated for a Grammy. So it was like, Whoa, that's wow. amazing. <laughs> you know, I'm talking to like a mm-hmm. Grammy nominated um artist. Um, so I would say that one. Um, Brandon Williams is another person whom I don't think is that much older than me, but their perspective mm-hmm. of being in Detroit, this is like an artist, another Grammy <laughs> nominated artist. They're actually a recording artist. And um their perspective of growing up in Detroit. It's fascinating, but also talking about the people that they've worked with. I think one of his mentors, um, the name escapes me off the top of my head, but they produced records for Anita Baker. That's one of his mentors. Michael Powell is his name. So like hearing his okay. perspective was great. Um, another person I probably like in there, Kamal Webster, a good friend of mine. He has spoken about Detroit growing up, uh, what it was like growing up in the 80s and the 90s and just the the music scene and, you know, me coming into um, age when I was, you know, the two thousands, when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18 or whatever, hearing his perspective as, as far as like what the culture was, what he listened to, just the vibe of the city. Like it really put a lot of things to perspective so much so that I'm trying to seek out and I'm actively seeking out older people because they are like mm-hmm. the vessels of history and they can kind of pass that, information on the people like me who i can in turn pass it on the people that are younger than me so yeah it's been it's been fun man dope dope and were did you touch on anybody that was younger than you that you felt uh well i would say <laughs> a lot of them were either younger than me or the same age as me to my understanding um okay. i'm trying to think of somebody that stands out off the top of my head i mean um probably the most recent episode that's out there uh Courtney Morris, she is a PhD student that's doing her thing over in Central Michigan University. That was an amazing episode. Like just hearing about her story, we actually had a lot in common. Um, Aya Waller Bay is another person who actually kind of motivated me to um, the, the title of her episode, Shoot Your Shot, because she spoke about just having that confidence. Like, okay, you you may not get the answer you want, but you can always just move forward and like shoot your shot. So that actually has given me a lot of confidence because this is a person that's in their doctoral program at the university of Michigan, but has traveled all over the world and lived in the D 
You know, she gave me so much confidence. Same for Courtney, same for Cynthia. Um, so many people have come on the podcast that have shared wisdom who are quote unquote younger than I, and we've all just kind of like mm-hmm. learned from each other. So those are the three that stand out. I'm pretty sure there are other people off the top of, that I can think of, but like off the top of my head, mm-hmm. those are the three that stand out who are younger than me. <laughs> I think what you're doing is is next level because it is such a cornerstone city of our culture. What is what is kind of the vision over the next few years? What do you look to accomplish? Uh, who do you hope to talk to uh, going forward? Man, that's a really good question. Um, right now, I think the the idea is to reach out to um, bigger and better guests. And what I mean by that, like people who are synonymous with Detroit, obviously you have like Jamel Hill, Michael Eric Dyson, um, Eric Thomas. I'm pretty sure there are other people, but I want to go back to um, Dominique, um, who again is an accomplished playwright. And one thing that she left me with, and this kind of stuck with me, not just on the podcast, which is life in general. She said on the podcast is build with the people that's around you. Don't always try to look for the most important person in the room. Build with the people who are nearest to you, people who have supported you. And I took that to heart because how me and her got connected, I just told her about the vision of the podcast. Like, this is what we're doing. This is what I want to do. Without hesitation, she's like, I'm down. No questions asked. She put me in touch with her people. We got everything situated. That, to me... um, symbolizes what it means to just have that community there so going off of that um, I want to continue to build that community but I also want to continue to reach out to people who I feel um, aren't getting their recognition yes Jamil Hill would be dope to have her on there same with Dr. Dyson same with Eric Thomas and other people Um, well at the same time there are people who are you know living where you are North Carolina that might be from Adidas doing some good stuff might be people in Houston that's doing some good stuff. Maybe we get somebody from Ghana <laughs> that's uh, from Detroit. I want to just highlight right. the, the excellence that comes from Detroit. And as um, we interview more people, I'm I'm almost confident that more quote-unquote notable guests will come on. But at the same time, I'm happy with the people we've had on so far because I've been able to like get to know them more on a personal level, professional level, but just hearing them tell their stories and it's, it's been super affirming. So, yeah, I mean, sky's the limit with it. Well, at the same time, I just kind of take it one day at a time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Uh, someone else that I would recommend, uh, I read his book about four or five years ago and it shifted my life. I believe he's from Detroit. I hope I'm not going down the wrong path here. Um, William F. Pickard. Um, he wrote a book called Millionaire mm-hmm. Moves. Um, he's um, he he actually owned several newspapers, mm-hmm. I believe, uh, in the area as well. Uh, I would definitely recommend uh, you know him as well uh, for future um, for future conversations or just sometimes the best conversations that I found don't even happen on air. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, just meeting people. Uh, talking with them, they hear about the podcast, and then we hop on a, a phone call for an hour, <laughs> and we don't. Even, it doesn't even make it on air. But then, you know, that connection becomes a lifelong connection. So sometimes that that will happen as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
you know, whatever it takes. And it's people who um, are proud of the fact that they're from Detroit, because let me be clear, I have had to turn people away that it is no personal thing at all. Like I want people to speak about Detroit in a way that is positive. Yes. We want you to tell the truth, the good, bad and the ugly because that comes with it. But there are people who like, I hate Detroit. <laughs> you know, I don't want them on the podcast. Yeah. Um. So I want to kind of keep that positivity going because there's been so many negative associations with the city that we want to rewrite that and tell our own story. So what 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 was uh what was the shift with Detroit? I, I remember hearing um a few years back that you know things were shifting and a lot of people were moving out people were leaving do you know what what caused that what 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 caused uh that shift where people were leaving the city well i would say um probably the, the downside to detroit and maybe even michigan itself is that the economy isn't as diversified as other areas i mean it is in a rust belt um section of the country where you have the um, Ohio, like Cleveland and Pittsburgh, all of the industrial-based um, states, and the fact that it is driven by the automotive industry. So if people, as people buy cars, so does the economy. It tends to move. And when people don't buy cars, well, <laughs> it puts a lot of people out of work. So I think that the automotive industry, and this is just, you know, from the outside looking in, of course, like reading news stories right. and stuff, I think that kind of played a shift and, you know, as the uh, population, you know, moves out, there isn't as much of a synergy there. I can't say that I'm like a, right. a, a economic, economic, whatever it is, <laughs> a person who specializes in um, economics or knows about those things. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I would just say just from the outside looking in, I think that kind of played a role into there because for me, I think, uh, I think I left 2009, 2010 and it was more so for me, like going to graduate school, continuing my education. But at that same time, I think either the auto bailout had just occurred or it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. This is when uh, president Obama was in office and I believe around that same time, many people were being laid off or they were just being rehired to some of those factories. So to kind of summarize, I think it's more or less like the economy um, isn't as um, diverse as it should be, meaning that it depends on one industry. And that isn't something that's stable. Um, Just again, I am no economic expert, but I just know just in terms of right, right how places thrive the more jobs that there are the more industries that there are is a very strong likelihood that the economy and a a place will be able to sustain itself so yeah it's (laughs) it's been a challenge but i've noticed but i've noticed a lot of people are now trying to come back there and i'm also noticing a lot of you know on, on social media these real estate gurus are all saying that they're going to detroit to invest in detroit um, what are your thoughts on people from outside of the city saying, hey, it's time to, to invest in Detroit and they're buying up properties? Uh, are there any thoughts on that? Are there any plans of uh, bettering, bettering the community or is it just people buying buildings? 
Yeah, I mean, going back to one of the earlier things that you said, I mean, even though I mentioned like the economy and it not being as diversified, there has been some change from what I've saw okay. where more companies are coming to invest, just given like the national um, perception of the trade. It is America City. It has um, the pulse on America, just given the, the automotive industry, Motown and other factors as well. So I think more people are moving back, people who are around my age or younger, where they recognize, like, okay, what can I do to make a change? It's one thing for me to kind of complain about it, but it's another thing for me to actually come in and make a change. So I am seeing more of my peers who might have left and have gone to, like, a Texas or North Carolina or Georgia, and they're starting to move back. And it may also be because of family, personal things as well. As far as investors are concerned, Again, I think, and by no means can I speculate, but I think that they see it as a, an American city. It is a large metropolis, and they can kind of put their um, stamp on it. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to invest and be able to put ideas into fruition. Because one thing I have noticed, and going back, and as often as I do to visit family, there are businesses that are popular popping up. Some mm-hmm. of them are black owned, others of them are not, which can be a little problematic, <laughs> but that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say like people are seeing it as, I guess equate it's like a, a piece of clay. It's been there, it's been quote unquote discarded, but at the same time you can shape it into the image that you would like to shape it into. And I think people who have that, have those resources are able to do those things and my biggest fear and that we've kind of expressed this on the podcast people who've been who are currently living in the city is as the city recovers that the people aren't left out the people who still live there people like my family people like other people's families who've been on the podcast people who are third fourth generation Detroiters that they aren't left out of that conversation and that is uh being done um, in a way that's equitable, 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 excuse me, can't talk. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think equitable and uh, ethic, ethics, you know, Mm -hmm. having ethics when you're investing, because I'm, like I said, I've seen so many people, you know, saying, yeah, we're going to go buy back the block and we're going to Detroit. We're going to Baltimore. It's like, okay, cool, cool. You know, but what is the plan? You know, did you even get to know the people there? Did you even have, any type of conversations. And so I'm hoping that, you know, with this episode, uh, people will reach out to you and other people that are part of the culture there and, you know, actually get to know the people there so they can know the different neighborhoods and the different areas. So they know not just, you know, hey, I'm buying a building, but here are the people that I'm going to be serving. And here are the people that I'm going to be working with for the long term, because really it's all about people at the end of the day. Exactly. Like I said, we don't want people to be displaced and really take into account that the history, the history is there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's so much history, there's so much legacy that's there. And I just think about my own grandparents, one of my grandparents is you know, 95, 96 years old and how she's been in her house for as many years as she has. And my uncles and aunts and some of the things they've been able to do, that's that's history. And just the people who come on the podcast, they also have similar stories as well. That's history. So don't try to erase our history. <laughs> exactly. And I think it's so important um, 
I think it's so important for us to understand how uh, valuable Detroit really is to our culture and to make sure that we handle it with care. And so uh, to pivot just a little bit, um, let's talk about some of the things that are valuable uh, to the culture. You mentioned earlier that you used to write about music and sports and things like that. What are some of your favorite Detroit sports memories that you can, uh, that come to mind as we're talking? <laughs> and I'm a big, big sports guy, man. So we can talk all day for this, but I'll try to summarize my memories as best as I can. My earliest memory is probably the Pistons winning the championship, the bad boys. Uh-huh. It's, uh, I don't know if it was the 89 or 90. I think it might have been 88. Well, 88 is when they went to the finals, but they lost. But I do remember watching that game. I had to be about four years old when Isaiah um, hurt his ankle and scored 20 in like the fourth quarter or something like that. I do remember looking at that. I don't know why, but I just remember looking. I remember them winning. It was either an 89 or 90. And I remember the uh, the parades and stuff. Like my mom, um, she had the uh, bad boy shirt, the back-to-back. Right, um, right. She had all their pictures and stuff when I remember that. Um, of course, Grant Hill, that's when I um, was going into my, uh, what, not even middle school, elementary school. He was one of my favorite players growing up, so seeing him play for the city. And, of course, um, when they won the championship in 2004, that's like a very proud moment for me on a personal level because I am a diehard Pistons fan. Um, that's probably my favorite team just overall, because I, I follow the right, Pistons, right. I've had an opportunity to connect with some of the uh, broadcasters there. And every time they come to Minnesota, I make an effort to see them when they come to town. So Dope. that's been something I've been doing for the past six years, just on a personal level. Um, I'm not going to talk about football because they've let the Lions have let me down <laughs> for so many years. I mean, um, <laughs> but, you know, Barry Sanders, he got he got voted in as a top running back of all time. He yeah, did, he did, and I would say my memories of Barry Sanders is gathering my family on Thanksgiving because the Lions always play on Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. seeing him just act a fool, um, scoring multiple touchdowns, and seeing him do those things. But as far as like Lions memories, <laughs> they're more so uh, bad than good. I would say um, Tigers. I, I haven't I followed him, but I haven't followed him as much. I, I followed him more so when I was older. Um, of course, they aren't doing anything right now, but um, seeing them go to the World Series and mm-hmm. was at 2006, and then I think they went back in like 2012. They didn't win either game, so I mean, <laughs> right, right, that kind of right. sucks. But um, you know, the Red Wings—they've won in my lifetime. I think they've won three Stanley Cups. I think 97, 98, and 2000. Yeah, that was the team in 90s. Yeah, yeah 2000 eight or nine or something like that. So they've won three championships in my lifetime. Same for the Pistons. The Tigers won a championship when I was born, so I have no <laughs> recollection of that, obviously. But the Pistons, man, that's my team, like, through and through. Like, I'm always going to be a diehard Piston fan. Like, as long as I'm living, the Pistons are always going to have a place in my heart. Now, on on the, on the music side, we got to touch on this. Does does Eminem make your top five MCs of all time? Oh man, um, I'm probably not gonna let my wife listen to this episode <laughs> um, <laughs> because oh, she does boy. not like him at all. But uh, okay, <sighs> my top five kind of varies, man. I will say this: okay, 
Eminem, and there is debatable if he's from actually from Detroit at all. I mean, that's another yeah. conversation for for another day. But lyrically, M is um, he's a monster. M is he's up there, and I'll tell you like a quick story, but it's not like yeah. a, a personal story. Like when Marshall Mathers uh, LP came out, which is his second album great album yeah that album i think probably went platinum in detroit like in a week because i can't remember and i think i was 16 at the time because it came out like 2000 i believe yeah yeah i was 16 i remember walking up to the record store and that album was selling out everywhere like to try to find that album it was just it was like finding a needle in a haystack so i think i visited at least like three or four different stores where i was able to get my hands on it so um, but yeah, going to him being my top five, I mean, it kind of varies. Um, I mean, he's a, a beast on the mic. He does his thing. My top five varies, man. I don't know. I mean, I would probably put him up there, but I might change my mind tomorrow. So, so who, as of today, who do you have in, in your top five of all time? Of all time. <sighs> all right, man. I'm. A, I can talk about music all day. Okay. Um, today being um december uh, whatever date it is but uh right. um red man okay um nah i heard that one okay. yeah red yeah i'm a yeah i'm an old head man red oh, man no, you Nas. um exhibit okay uh az yeah man and um what mood am I in? I, I put it's kind of debatable between either Biggie or Big Pun. One of wow. those two. It's kind of like flip flop. Okay. Yeah. You know, I always said, I think I said this on a previous episode. I think AZ is the most underrated rapper of all time. And I say that because to me, every track he ever got on with Nas, I felt like he had the better verse. I felt like I felt like he was technically the better rapper than everybody mm-hmm. else back then. And because some of his albums weren't all the way complete, you know, there's a, a few throwaway songs here and there. It's kind of like he got slept on throughout the whole entire 90s. But I always felt like he was one of the, the greatest rappers that no one talked about. No, I would agree, man. Like, um, shout out to my big cousin who, like, put me on some of these people. Like, I remember um, raiding his CD case. Um, I had to be about 12 or 13, and he had... Um, the second Mob Deep album, um, Nas, it was written. I think Jay Z's um, "In My Lifetime" and AZ, and I can't remember. I think it was uh, his first one, "Do or Die." I think that was what it was. It was it. And I remember listening to this, and I was like, you know, twelve at the time. I'm like, man, it like took me in a, in a different atmosphere, like listening to him. And um, again, that's one of my uh, favorite MCs of all time. Like, yeah, bar bar none. Um, See, I feel like I'm going to put some more of the people in there because I've been listening to them a lot more recently since they put their um, new album out. But Little Brother, Fonte from Little oh, Brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. North Carolina, yeah, stand yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, those, to me, um, from where I'm sitting, like, you they like, come... You like lyrics, lyrics. You like oh, real, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, full disclosure, man, I used to rhyme back in the day. So okay. I can't listen to all these MCs and not, like, try my hand at... <laughs> not try my hand at so, rhyming. So. What, was, what was the rap name? Oh uh, man, we might have to talk about that offline. <laughs> it was offline. No, I, I have to tell you about that one oh, offline. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, no, no, no. It was all good. My my name um, 
was Mr. K. And okay. um, we we had a group back in the day, man. I'm probably telling you more stuff or telling listeners more stuff than they need to. But it kind of goes to what the trade is. But uh, anyway, yeah, one of my homeboys, I back in the day, we had done talent shows. We were in a big group back in, like, middle school. And we had done shows, like, around the city and just did some amazing stuff. That, to me, like, really sparked my creativity, like, being able to, like, write and perform your stuff. And that's where my love for writing came from, actually, um, you know, putting out music and getting people's response. And that's what I've been able to do with my writing. So, yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this, because as you're talking, I'm just picturing Detroit. And a couple questions come to come to mind. How cold are those winters? Man, let me tell you, um, definitely not as cold as this Minnesota winter. <laughs> oh, Minnesota's worse than what Detroit was. Man, Minnesota is the I, I've, I've never been this cold in my life. Wow, listeners, Minnesota is cold. Do not come okay. here and during the winter months. No, I'm joking. It's a, it's a good place, but no, Detroit is. I mean, it's cold. It's the Midwest, obviously. A lot of lake effect snow. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I was cold till I moved to Minnesota, and Minnesota is a different type of cold. So, okay. um, I mean, they say, as they say, it's cold in the D, but at the same time, like, I can go to the D right now, and I can probably go in there with a hoodie, which is something I probably would not have done, <laughs> you know, 10, 15 years ago. But right. my body's right, so right, used right. to the, the Arctic <laughs> temperatures here in Minnesota that, you know, I pay it no mind. <laughs> and. And another question I have as I'm listening to you is when you were coming up through the school system, were there a lot of black teachers? Was it, were the schools, were there a lot more black students in schools? Cause I know a lot of people, depending on where you live, they grew up in a lot of white high schools and white middle schools. How was your experience? I'll be completely honest in saying that 95 to a hundred percent of my teachers were black. I'm being completely wow. honest with you. Like, to even see a white teacher <laughs> and and I wish I had that experience, man. I all most of my teachers growing up were white. Yeah, well, let me just say this. It, it might be because of my school. So I went to an Afrocentric yeah. um public school, Malcolm X Academy. So I went there from wow. the time I was in the third grade till the time I was in the eighth grade. So from that being my in my formative years, I would say ninety five, let's say ninety eight percent, ninety eight percent of them were of African descent. Now, prior to Malcolm X, I'm pretty sure I'd had student uh, teachers who um, identified as white. I can almost yeah, I had a preschool teacher who identified as white, and probably in other places in first and second grade. But from third to eighth grade, ninety eight percent of them were um, black and. You know, Black men, of course, they were in there as well. High school, um, probably a little different. I would say like 60, 40, 60 being um, identified as black, 40 being identified as other races. But third grade to eighth grade, man, probably, you know, 95, 98%. Did you find out through the conversations that you've had how did Detroit get so black? I know that might sound weird, but how did it, how did it happen? I'm, well, I'm going to reference a book, actually, and I probably recommend people read it. It's this book called Black Detroit that kind of talks about that history. It has a comprehensive history, and it's by Herb Boyd. And that's another person I want to get on the podcast, too, because this is, uh, this is an author that's 
um, worked with Malcolm X, that's worked with many different people, and he uh, was a part of that great migration. So to summarize, um, like my grandparents, for instance, the great migration happened where my grandparents are from Georgia, and they moved up there because of the auto, the automotive industry. Um, at the time, whatever was going on down south, whether it be discrimination, Jim Crow, all that stuff, they wanted to make a better life for themselves. So they moved up to um, cities up north, Detroit being one, Chicago being another, Cleveland, I can imagine, like the whole Rust Belt um, area. They moved up there and, you know, people were bringing up their families. Like, um, you know, a good example, my uh, wife's, her her uh, grandfather, um, he moved up there um, in the 20s, 30s, or 40s, <laughs> whatever decade he moved up there. But as he was bringing people up there, as he moved up there, he was also bringing his family as well. And the same could be said for my family, too. So it just, you know, the automotive industry people coming, people bringing their families, and then, you know, people kind of creating a legacy, um, moving from places they down south. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and again, the book goes into great detail about that, because there are some things that I didn't know, and even, like, the person I mentioned, uh, Dominique Mariso, she went back and did research, because she's writing plays about the history of Detroit, so she herself had to become a student, and I'm also... I consider myself a lifelong learner. So, whoa, I didn't know this. But also, like, talking to my grandmother, um, who is 96, and my other grandmother, who is in her early 80s, like, hearing how they moved up to Detroit. So, yeah, to kind of summarize, I would say, like, the automotive industry and other um, things, the Great Migration is what they um, classify it as. I think everybody needs to go listen to your podcast because you are deeply rooted into the roots of our culture uh being in detroit and understanding like you were saying the great migration i think it's cool to see the seeds and the fruit that come from that and so for those who uh aren't familiar i know you said in the beginning of this podcast episode how do people listen to your podcast and how do people get familiar with your work yeah yeah for sure i mean um podcast is available on all streaming flat platforms detroit worldwide spotify iheart apple stitcher pod you name it <laughs> wherever you listen to your podcast is likely there um so definitely check it out um you can find the podcast uh, on social media on facebook if you just type in detroit worldwide podcast You'll see all the little snippets that I put out to preview the guest. Um, we're also on Instagram, Detroit Worldwide Podcast, and then on Twitter at Detroit Worldwide Pod. So definitely uh, look us up there. Look, working on getting a website put together, but um, you know that's in the uh, stages. Hopefully, sometime in mm -hmm. 2020. But yeah, the episodes. I mean, I'm biased, of course. Check them out. All the guests are dope they're great i think if you just listen to any episode and like hear people's stories about growing up in detroit you'll walk away with a lot because one of the questions i asked them um probably one of the closing questions is what does detroit mean to you and everybody's response differs no response right. is the same but then also i always ask them or try my best to ask them how has detroit influenced the way that they see the world so everybody's response varies from that as well but yeah, the podcast is 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 out there. Check us out. We're I don't know how many episodes we're in. You know, we got more than ten episodes. That's a good thing. But 
right. yeah, so many dope people. And again, like I said, I'm biased, but I love my city. So, no, it's a great podcast. I think what you're doing is great for the culture. I'm gonna throw two more things at you before yeah. we go. I think Dave's low from Detroit is one of the dopest rappers out there because she can sing and rap. Mm-hmm. So I respect Dave Low. And also, I want to know, have you been to this Mall of America? Isn't that in Minneapolis? It is in Minneapolis. It's in Bloomington, Minnesota, to be exact. And that's actually where I live at. I live 10 minutes from the Mall of America. Oh, you got to um, tell me, man. What is this Mall of America like? <laughs> um, for sure. You can keep me on here. We, If you got some extra time, we can definitely keep talking. If you got some more questions you want to ask me. But, uh, Mall of America, man, to be simple, it's just a big ass mall. I don't know if I can say <laughs> ass on here, but um, yeah, I just said it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a big ass mall. A lot of the same stores, like for instance, it's what four stories, so it's like a footlock on every floor. There isn't like any exclusive store. But the good thing about Minnesota, though, and this is probably one of the reasons why I like living here, um, I love clothes. I think it's part of being from Detroit. It's one mm-hmm. of the fashion capitals. <laughs> but um, the cool things about living in Minnesota is that the clothes here are tax free. So you wow. can walk into yeah, you can walk into a store like Foot Locker, for instance. You want some Air Force Ones? Like that's my you know shoe of choice. If I see some Air Force Ones and they're seventy nine ninety nine. I pay seventy nine ninety nine or pay eighty dollars and get back my penny. So, wow. <laughs> so yeah, that's one of the good things about living in Minnesota. Um, you know, aside from you know other things as well. But yeah, Mall of America is just a big mall. I mean, they have a it has an amusement park, it has restaurants, it has a hotel, two hotels attached to it. I mean, it's a good place. I'm used to it because I've been here for so long. It's just right. nothing Does it cause special the traffic to me. To be crazy. Does it cause traffic to be crazy? Yeah. Um, weekends, yeah, yeah. Never want to go okay. there on a Saturday. If you go there on a Saturday, you might as well just intend on being there for a good majority of your day. Never go on a Saturday. And um, traffic-wise, I mean, it does. But, you know, being here as long as I have, I know alternate routes to not be in the midst of traffic. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's cool mall. Like I do take people who have not been to Minnesota there just so they can say that I've been to the Mall of America and um you know, yeah, <laughs> put that on their bucket list. Now, now I'm going to go back to my Detroit questions. How accurate of a portrayal and I know your boy Exhibit is in this movie. How accurate is 8 Mile? Uh is is that considered a, a Detroit movie or are we considering that right outside of Detroit? Man, it's kind of interesting, and I'm going to answer this question from the perspective of being in Minneapolis, and uh, for those who, well, I'll just kind of say, like, I'm a big Prince fan, too, and if you've seen the movie Purple Rain, it's kind of, it's very much very similar, and just the script, and it being in uh, Minneapolis, and then 8 Mile being in Detroit. Right. I would say it has its layers to it that reminds you of home. But at the same time, and this is, you know, Eminem being from Detroit and not being from Detroit is debatable. He's actually from outside the city, um, Warren, which is not too far. But at the same time, you know, the people who are in the movie, they are um, representing Detroit. So I would say there are layers to it that represents Detroit. Well, at the same time, it doesn't represent everybody's Detroit, if right. that makes sense. Like, yeah. Eminem's perspective and portrayal of Detroit is a lot different from my experience and other mm. people's experience 
being in Detroit and, and stuff like that. So I would say that there are layers to it, you know, very similar to, like I mentioned, like the Purple Rain and being in Minneapolis, how there are layers to it that um, Prince put out there that it may not be everybody's Minneapolis, but it does have some layers to the city of Minneapolis. The same with Eminem and, you know, the 8 Mile in Detroit. So I'll, I'll probably just put this one thing out there because we <laughs> I've had family, I've had friends, people who are from not from Detroit to ask me about 8 Mile. Let me put out a disclaimer. 8 Mile is just a street. There's nothing that's going on. There are a bunch of restaurants and strip clubs on 8 Mile Road. So <laughs> there's nothing... <laughs> special about eight mile in fact the eight mile was um is a divider between the city and the suburbs so you have the city on one side and then you have eight mile which has the suburbs and again where eminem is from you know warren um, warren being one of those cities that are across eight mile so it's like a racial divide and that's the way that it has historically been categorized um like going the other side of eight mile that's where the black people are from detroit and then on the other side you know the suburbs and white people <laughs> right 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 now is that similar to uh the city where uh the detroit pistons play are they still playing in is it arbor uh, auburn hills auburn hills yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so no they actually are not um it's funny you mentioned that because they just tore down the arena um actually this week so they wow. yeah so just a kind of a brief history on that so um, this is way before my time, but of course, you know, being a Piston fan that I am, I uh, know this history. They played in the city for the better part of the um, 50s and 60s and just just their inception until um, I would say like the late 80s. They moved out to uh, Pontiac. They did some games out there where the um, Lions played, the Pontiac Silverdome. And their owner at the time, Bill Davidson, had built the uh, Palace of Auburn Hills. And at the time, I think it was one of the newest arenas. It was a privately funded arena. So it was different from like, say, here I'm at the Target Center in Minneapolis or um, the American Airlines Arena in like Dallas or um, um, uh, Miami. So it didn't have like Mm -hmm. a corporate name to it. So it was a privately funded arena. They played there until maybe three years ago they moved downtown and they now shared an arena with the uh detroit red wing so it is now called the little caesars arena because little caesars was actually founded in detroit little caesars pizza and the owner um, mm. mike illich who owns the um red wings and the tigers well he's no longer with us but his family owns those two teams they also right. um, acquired their wealth from um, little caesars pizza so Right, long uh, good pizza. You know, it, it's okay. It's, I've had better, but oh come on now, <laughs> don't sleep on little pizza. It's good. It's good if you in a pinch, but it, it's okay. I've had better. <laughs> Who's who? Who got the best pizza in Detroit? Oh uh, man, okay. So I'm not even gonna name you chains. Um, okay. So the best pizza in Detroit. Detroit is synonymous for Detroit style pizza. Detroit style pizza is pizza that is in the squares and is deep dish and is baked. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the best uh-huh. pizzas in Detroit, this is debatable because people can <laughs> maybe okay. who are from Detroit might uh, um, debate me on this. But Buddy's Pizza, I think, is one of the best pizzas in Detroit. Shields Pizza, which also has the same type of pizza, is also good. 
But for my money, if I had to like, if you had to put a piece of a slice of pizza in front of me, I would probably go with Buddies and oh, can't forget about okay. Jets. Jets is Jets pizza. That's uh pretty good too. So I'll probably go with those. So Buddies, okay. Jets, Shields. I don't count Little Caesars, even though it's a chain. And even though Jets is technically a chain, but Detroit-based pizza, um, that four-square deep dish, right. that's where it's at. Wow. And so they so they tear down the old stadium, uh, the old arena. And now, so the new arena is in Detroit city limits for, for basketball? Oh, hello? Oh, hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. Mark, okay. Uh, so you're you're saying that they turn they tore down the the uh, arena that's in Ar uh, mm-hmm. Arvin Hills, and and now they're playing within city limits. Are they within the Detroit city limits now? Yeah, yeah. All of these uh, stadiums are now adjacent to one another. So, um, okay. Directly across the street is Ford Field where the Detroit Lions play. Uh, and then <laughs> directly next to Ford Field is Comerica Park where the Detroit Tigers play. So all of the stadiums are within a one-mile radius, if that. You can literally walk to wow. all of these arenas, um, which is very different because, like I said, Pistons, Auburn Hills was you know 30 or 40 minutes away depending on traffic. And yeah. Of course, a lot of people weren't able to get out there. But, I mean, as the Pistons were winning, when they won in the 2000s, people were definitely making their way out there. But during the lean years, people weren't making their way out there. But mm-hmm. now, I mean, they're doing okay. But I think as the product, people, as the product um, gets better, people are going to go to games. Like, this is off topic, but I just read somewhere, and I'm not sure how true it is, but – with Golden State going through all their injuries, they are taking off games off of national TV, <laughs> which is, you know, very ironic just given that they were the mm-hmm. NBA's ticket. But now, you know, with those guys being out, they don't want to have them on TV anymore on national games. So. <laughs> yeah, nobody's going to watch it. I mean, they're getting blown out. Yeah, more. yeah. So, um, same with the Pistons. I mean, as the Pistons win, people come out. Um, but at the same time, I think that Detroit is more of a, unfortunately, they're more of a football town, but even though the Lions have never brought us any like championships or Super Bowls, they've won championships when, before the NFL officially merged, but Super Bowls, nah, we haven't even sniffed one. (laughs) I, I think the Pistons will be back. I don't know how long the run will be. They seem to be a one, two year type of. Uh, a run. I full my full disclosure. I am a Lakers fan. Okay, uh, been a Lakers fan since I was five, six years old. So it's no bandwagon because everybody's jumping on this Lakers fan, you know, bandwagon now that LeBron's there. I actually didn't want him that to come to uh, the Lakers at first, but now that he's here, hey, it is what it is. Um, but I think Detroit will be back. I think if. I would like to see them because what they ended up doing last time was they had a lot of uh, with uh, Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton, uh, Tayshawn Prince. They had a lot of not older players, but they had a lot of seasoned players. I would love to see them build something this time around from the ground floor and draft uh, a, a John Morant or uh, uh, somebody that's coming out uh, out of, of college that they can get early and 
build something for the next 10 years. I would love to see that uh, for them, them and New York. Those are the two teams I would love to see that for. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see that too because um, just kind of thinking about those teams that you name, like the Chauncey Billups and Rip and all those people, Tayshaun, that's probably never going to be done again. Mm -hmm. I mean, Joe Dumars, who was the general manager at the time, he plucked those guys from obscurity. Um, Tayshaun was a draft pick, but during that year, no, I think it was the year after they wanted, um, they should have like, we should get Carmelo Anthony. And Chauncey was somebody who I think was on the Timberwolves at the time. So he was a free agent signing and then Rip Hamilton was traded for uh, Jerry Stackhouse. So, just that whole mm-hmm. team, and then of course we got Rasheed Wallace, who was on Portland at the time, and <laughs> you know, with the reputation that he had. Yeah. But that's probably never going to happen again. I mean, the NBA is a star league, right. and for that to have happened, for them to have beat the Lakers, and for them to have gone to the finals again, and you know, of course they lost to the Spurs that year, but that that's never going to happen right. again. Like this, it's a star league right now, and yeah, we have our you know, Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin, those people, um, a couple other players on the team as well. But, yeah, hopefully we won't have to go through, like, another 20 years <laughs> to see another championship because telling you, man, we hurt. I don't know how hurt. long it's going to be, but uh, uh, I'll leave it at this because I think, I think we'll be doing a disservice if I don't mention this. What was it like? Because you said you've been away for about 10 years. Yeah. So this happened – what was this? Two thousand nine. What is it? What was it like when you saw this the brawl at the palace? What were what were your thoughts going in your head? You're like, wait, this is my city. What, what's going on here? What 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 were your? You thoughts? said what was my thoughts when, when I saw what's going on at the palace? The 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 brawl with uh, Detroit and Indiana. Can you hear me? Can hear you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, the uh, brawl with uh, Indiana Pacers and, and Detroit. Pistons. Oh, with the Indiana and the Pacers and the Pistons, the bro- malice of the Palace. Yeah, malice <laughs> the Palace. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was watching this live on TV. This was in 2005. This was like right after they won the championship. Okay. No, 2004. Excuse me, because it was the 15 year anniversary uh, recently. Okay. Yeah, 2004. I was watching okay. this on, on TV. Like I remember looking at it, and I was just like, "Wow." <laughs> this is actually happening. Um, <laughs> I mean, at the time, I didn't know. I mean, I was 20 years old, so <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, I have probably had some different thoughts that I would have had as a 35-year-old, but right, right. I just, at the time, I'm like, whoa, this is really happening, <laughs> you know? Um, right. But it didn't surprise me. I didn't, it, the actual fight itself didn't surprise me given that, they put the Pacers out of the championship or out of the playoffs the year before or the summer before to make it to the finals. Yeah, the Pacers thought they were look. a better team. Yeah. But what I didn't expect to happen is to see you know, Ron Artest or Metro World Peace <laughs> going to the crowd and stuff like that. That's <laughs> something I didn't expect to happen. But yeah, it is what it is. I mean, it just it kind of just goes to that national perception of Detroit that Detroit is just this vile city and. I'm pretty sure if it would have happened any place else, it wouldn't have gotten. Well, maybe let me. I take that back. It probably would have gotten the coverage that it did, but I don't think it would have been as amplified as it did if it was if it was in Detroit. So yeah, if it, it fit a narrative that people wanted to run with, 
Definitely. Um, so, you know, I, I thank you, Marquise, for coming on the show, uh, talking about Detroit. Um, you know, the, the, the doors are open for you to come back as you continue having these podcasts to come back on the show and let us know, you know, the different things that you're learning and experiencing. Cause I want people to know about your podcast and experience the different conversations you're having. So we thank you for coming uh, on black equity podcast and everybody go check out Detroit worldwide podcast uh, right after this episode and let us know what you think. All right, for sure. Thank you, Marquis. Do you have any, you have any final thoughts? No, DJ, thank you for having me. Thank you for having the platform that you have. I know that you really go out of your way to um, promote what people are doing, positive things that people are doing, especially black people. The name of your podcast is called Black Equity. You, you have the network, you have the conglomerate, if you will. So keep up the good work with what you're doing. Um, you have some fantastic guests, and I just appreciate the love, man. Thank you so much. Hopefully, we got some clear audio. Otherwise, we might have to do this again. <laughs> no, we got we got great audio. And next time, whenever I visit Detroit and you're there, we got to make sure we get some uh, some Jets pizza or some Buddy's pizza. Just sit down and chop it up. Uh, you know, uh, have a conversation and just reflect on life, man. I look yeah, for to sure, it. man. Let me know, man. I'll definitely uh, holler at you, man. Or if you know, if you want to come out to the Mall of America <laughs> during the uh, nine, I might, I might have to make that happen. I might have, to, I might have to come when it's warm. I, what are the warmest months? Yeah, warm months. Um, anytime after May. Anytime after May. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm writing that down right now. After May. Gotcha. After May. All right, brother. Thank you for coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk again. All right, man. Take it easy. All right. All right. Now that you are hearing from someone who's actually speaking with people from Detroit on a daily basis, I want you to remember the next time you're investing in Detroit or investing in these cities, that you're not just buying buildings. You're entering into a community. You're entering into a neighborhood where there are people that are surrounded all around you who have their own stories. If you're a true investor, I challenge you to invest for the long term. Invest in the people. Invest in having a bigger plan than just the one building that you may be investing in. We thank you, Marquise, for coming on the Black Equity Podcast, and we look forward to hearing all the great work you're doing in Minnesota and also in Detroit. To get the latest information from the Black Equity Network, make sure you text Black Equity to 31996. There you'll be getting exclusive content, exclusive information as new episodes come out, as new information comes out. Also, make sure you follow us on Instagram over at, at Black Equity Network and continue supporting us by becoming a monthly supporter through the Anchor app. We thank you all for listening to the Black Equity Podcast and look forward to more episodes for the rest of the year.